Okay, so last time, B'siyata Deshmaya, what we had spoken about was the different forms and modes of listening. But we had seen it through the perspective of Rashi. What we're going to do now is try to take those theoretical ideas and make them as practical as possible. That's uh, what we're what we're going to do. What we had seen from Rashi in Bereshus Lamed Zayin Chav Zayin and Mem Aleph Tesvav is that Rashi pointed out that there were three different types of listening. One type of listening is where a person listens and doesn't even accept what they're hearing. A second Rashi described is someone who listens and accepts that which is said. And a third form is where a person listens and not only do they accept what is being said, but they really understand. Um, in Rashi's words, it's v'kibomine. They really, really accept that which is, that which is being said. So that's the, that's the three different uh, forms of listening. Now, I'd like to talk about three different stories. Three different stories of, of Shalom Bayis. And um, see how those three different stories could really reflect different components of listening and discuss the nature of how we might want to um, deal with those particular situations in different ways. Since I first uh, crafted this class in the Gruskola, where we heard d- discussed many things together, um, I, the first example I thought of was something happens to guys who are in smicha, and that is their wife, and they are having a nice breakfast, and it's about five minutes to nine, and he's ready to go to the base medrash, and his wife says, I, I wanted to talk to you, often this way, <laughs> the rules, uh, Murphy's Law, they, they, they weren't talking about anything particularly important until he's ready to go, and he's all set to go, and then she says, I want to talk to you about something really important, like maybe us staying next year, or not staying next year, <coughs> excuse me, or something we're going to do during the summer. Um, and she wants to have that conversation then. So, what's he supposed to do? Right now, he's not really interested in having that conversation. That's not his his focus. How do you deal with when your wife wants to have a conversation which you at this particular time are not particularly uh, ready or focused in having that conversation? That would be Conversation number one. Conversation number two that sometimes happens between spouses, and it's really a sad uh, phenomenon, um, but we, we really need to think about getting to the bottom of it, is either it start, I'll introduce it with a joke. There is a couple that are sitting and talking to each other, and uh, the wife says to the husband, you're not, you're not, uh, you're not speaking with me. And the husband says, what are you talking about? I thought we're just getting along. Um, And that is that sometimes the definition of really talking and communicating with each other could sometimes come about in, in a phenomenon where the husband thinks that they're just getting along and the wife feels that she, he's not speaking with her. Um, In a fantastic book by Rabbi Simcha Cohen called Bayit Yehudi. It's in, it's interesting. It's named in Hebrew, Bayit Yehudi. It's a two-volume work. The, it was translated to English into one volume 
like the a summary of the book entitled "What Did You Just Say?" I recommend that. I, I recommend the Hebrew one; it's more comprehensive. But the English one is also good. What did you just say? And he describes uh, a woman who co- confronts her husband in a nice way and says that we haven't been we haven't been talking. And he says, "What are you talking about? I just I just spoke with you." And um, and she says, "Yeah, give me an example that we were just talking." And he says, "I asked you um, which drawer the socks are in." And she says, "You see, we're not talking." In other words, sometimes a, a husband will feel that they've been talking and everything is is moving along and they're communicating with each other. And for some reason, the woman feels that they haven't been they haven't truly been speaking with each other. And what we're going to try to do is get to the bottom a little bit of this of what exactly is that mitzius of where he feels that they've been talking and she and she doesn't. The third example, and these will all correspond to the Rashis, as I mentioned, the third example, which I think is a very, very, very important example, is where a woman describes her conversation with, let's say, a friend, and the husband uh, responds, he listens to what she says, she responds, he responds, but she's frustrated at the end of the conversation. So, for example, I'll give you an example uh, where uh, we, we'll cut it in two directions so we'll be politically correct. Um, you have an instance where a woman is recounts to her husband that she had a conversation with her friend. Um, and let's say she's complaining to her friend that uh, there's not enough secular studies in the school that uh, that she's at. And she's talking to a friend, and the friend disagrees with her. The friend disagrees with her. And they end up not seeing eye to eye. And she comes back to her husband, and she says, you know, I had this conversation with my friend, and we're not seeing eye to eye, and uh, I want to share this with you. And the husband tells her, you know, I agree with you. What are you worried about? Why, why are you concerned about the fact that your friend disagrees with you? And of course, to keep it politically correct, it could go in the other direction, that uh, she's having a conversation with her friend, and she's complaining that the tzniyus amongst her daughter's friends are not up to par. And her friend mitigates it and says, I, I don't agree with you. And she comes back to her husband, and her husband supports her. And he says... I agree with you. What are you worried about? I agree with you. What are you worried about? And the conversation, ironically, even though she and her husband are exactly in the same place, they're in total agreement with each other, yet this conversation seems to spiral out of control that she somehow becomes disappointed with him. So what happened over here? He was totally being supportive. What happened? And the answer to to this question question of what happened in these instances is that this these three rashis that we mentioned or these three more precisely these three definitions of listening that we discussed in rashi those three definitions repeated themselves uh, over here and that is that there are three different three different forms of listening and what happened in, in these cases 
is that the woman felt that she wasn't entirely lis- listened to and heard, and because of that, what happens is is that she um, becomes disappointed with her with her husband's form of communication. Last time we spoke about that listening is a critical part of communication. The Maharal in Maseches Avos describes that the, our Seichel is not working when we talk. In other words, when I, you're, you're thinking now. I'm not really thinking according to Maharal. Hopefully I thought about what I was going to say before I started speaking, before this year. I prepared beforehand. But the Maharal says that when you're actually speaking, you're not thinking. The Maharal writes this in Avos Derechayim Perek Aleph Mishnah Yudches. The Maharal says is referring to the ability for a person to be able to be silent and thereby have Chachma. And a lot of times what happens is instead of truly listening to what our spouse is saying, we sort of go into a very logical place but didn't really, really hear what they said. And so therefore, the kiavoda, when we're talking about Shalom Bayis and communication, is this idea of being able to truly use our seichel and our sensitivity to be able to really, really listen. So, if we can't speak and we can't listen, like the example that we had given about five minutes to nine, where the husband needs to leave. So then what we need to do is we need to show our spouse that even in the times that we're not able to listen, we're interested in listening. So for example, if, they, if your spouse calls at work and it now is not a time that you could speak and it's not an emergency and your spouse is priority number one, but you know that this is not central to priority number one, then in such a case, you are allowed to say, when could we make up a time to sit and talk? But to show that you're really, really interested in listening to what she wants to talk about, even if it's not something that necessarily you think is critical. So that's number one. So you don't, at five to nine, if you're leaving the house and there's no way you could have this conversation in a healthy and productive way, there's nothing wrong to, with saying, honey... I, ha- I do have to leave now. By the way, ask yourself, do you really, really have to leave? You know, if you're going to play basketball, it's okay if you don't get the first five on five and you get the next one. But let's say you really have to be at work for a meeting. So you say, honey, I, I, I do have this meeting, but tonight, and you make up a time, and then you stick to that time. You, you're, you're, you're there, and you show that you're entirely there. Now, being entirely there means pshuto kimashmo. It means really, really, really being there. There is a fantastic psychologist. His name is Rev. Dr. Mordechai Reich. He should have a refua shalema. He was a Talmud of Rav Nissen Alpert. And he describes that, by, that he watched Rav Nissen Alpert on Simchas Torah, that he would, when he would go to the back while everybody was dancing and learn, he was actually, his back was towards where the women were standing in the back of the base medrash, and his wife would be sitting, would be right behind him, 
And Rav Nissen Alpert would, uh, when his wife would ask him something, Rav Nissen Alpert didn't just respond to her. He would stand up and turn around entirely to face her. That's the difference between how we talk about, let's speak later. Do, do you really, care, in a very caring and loving way, look into your wife's eyes and say, could we talk about this later? And I do want to talk about it later, and then actually talk about it later. Do we give her our full attention, even when we can't give her our full attention? And Revisan Alper was careful that when he spoke with his Rebetzin, he turned around and he faced her entirely. So that's something that's, that's really, really important. You could respond in a text and say, can't talk now. Or you could, you could FaceTime and say, you know, that this is something that's, that's, that's really, really important to me. I know that because it's important to you even though you don't think in the hierarchy of things that really should even be important to her, but you've shown her that it's really, really important. So that's in regards to the 5 to 9 case. The case in which you have the couple that are speaking at, and all of a sudden she says, we're not talking. And he says, I thought we were just, I thought we were just getting along. And he says to her, what do you mean we're not, we're not talking? I just I just asked you who's taking the who's driving the kids to school and you answered me. So that is the second case of Rashi. That's the case in where a husband is listening to what his wife is saying. He hears what she said, but he didn't really internalize. He didn't understand what she's saying. And many ways, this is the more challenging part of communication in a marriage. Is a wife wants to feel that she's been heard, and been heard in terms of not simply the words that she's saying, but the emotions that she's feeling. And we spoke about this a little bit last time, and this is absolutely critical, that listening, as Rashi pointed out, the next madrega of listening is to understand, to truly understand, to truly hear, before we get into understanding, to truly, truly hear what she's saying. To listen to the point that we truly hear what she's saying and we internalize what she's been saying with to us. And that's the difference between talking and speaking. If we're going to be talking entirely about practical things, then our wives are going to feel that what we're focusing on is just getting things done. And remember, men are from Mars, have a tendency to focus more on getting things done. But what she wants to do is she wants to speak. And therefore, if we're talking about making the carpool work, we're not only talking about making the carpool work in terms of pragmatics, but also addressing her emotions. If you notice that there's frustration, then to say, I hear that it's really hard for you, is a tremendous, tremendous, tremendous deal. In other words, not to ignore and to actually be able to listen, to listen carefully, what exactly are those emotions that she is expressing inside. That becomes a very, very, very big deal. What are the emotions that she's expressing inside? Big, big, big thing. What are the emotions? In fact, I've mentioned in the past that there was a psychologist who changed the rules of therapy called Carl Rogers. And Rogers introduced a form of psychology called client-centered therapy. And what he did was he emphasized that what the therapist what a therapist could do and be extremely helpful to a person is to simply show that they understand 
what's behind the words that they were saying. In other words, repeat what they're saying in other words, simply repeating what the client said, but with a recognition of the emotions that come along with that phenomenon. If a husband could recognize and show to his wife that he's truly internalizing those emotions that she's expressing, so then that becomes a totally, totally uh, different, different world. And therefore, the next level that Rashi was describing about hearing is hearing doesn't only mean hearing the words, but rather hearing also means the ability to recognize the emotions that are behind the words. So look for emotional hints. Like if she's describing when the, 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 the carpool is not working, she's probably interested in expressing to you her frustration. And that's, by the way, Rabosai, the difference between talking, if you will, if I could introduce a lambda shahagdara into the English language, I'd like to, to suggest that we have, in the English language there's something called talking and there's something called speaking. I'm just speculating. I haven't uh, you know, looked into the etymology and so on. But it would seem to me that talking is when someone conveys information. I'm talking to you now. But when we're speaking, Matthew and I were speaking before this year, when we're speaking, what we do by, when we speak to each other is, and we didn't have enough time to do this, but when a, people are truly speaking, they're not only simply conveying information, but they're communicating to each other thoughts and feelings. And when I'm speaking with someone and not talking with them, then what we're doing is we're really, really sharing something more that's just information. And that's what Rashi says to truly understand what is being, what is being said. Vayishmu Echav, the brothers heard, and they truly began to hear, to truly hear what's being said. Adasof. And then there's one more definition. And that gets us to the last scenario. The definition of not only one reaches a madrega of talking with one's wife, not only one reaches a madrega of speaking with one's wife, but one reaches another madrega. And that is lekabel, to truly accept, and I think in our, defini- in our context it means to truly respect, to truly show respect to the thoughts and the feelings that, that she's saying. And this is something that's very very important, although not always easy to do. And that is, you could have people who, who listen and understand what's being said, and even able to convey back to the wife what her emotions are, but we need to make a new level, a new place. And that new place is to show that those feelings that she's expressing are you not only hear them and understand them, but respect them. Now let's go back to the, the story that we had given. You, a, a woman expresses to her husband that she had a, a conversation with her friend that was very frustrating. What was frustrating about the conversation? What was frustrating was that her friend, uh, she was talking to her friend about um, the lack of secular studies in, in the school, and her friend dismissed, she dismissed it for whatever reason she dismissed it. Either she disagreed with the facts or she has a different hashkafa, whatever it might be. Now the woman now comes to her husband and we described that 
the husband clearly sees that she's frustrated. He recognizes that she's frustrated. And he says to her, he says to her, you're right. What are you worried about? She's wrong. We agree. And we're going to take care of it. And so on and so forth. And she starts crying. Now what happened was, is that the husband dealt with it, not simply only the trap of trying to solve the problem, but what was missing in his response, what was missing in his response was that he didn't take her emotion of her pain or her discomfort that her friends were disagreeing with her. That was the challenge. Her friend, she wanted her friend to understand how she's feeling. She wanted her friend to internalize her, her emotion, and instead, her friend rejected her idea. And that was difficult for her. And you know what the husband does when he just says, well, I'm on your side, and he says, well, we're going to solve it, without showing respect for her emotion. In other words, the husband's saying, what's the problem? I agree with you. I agree with you. I agree with you. He says that that's, that's, that's enough. That's enough. And, and she's saying no. She's saying it's not enough that you, simply, that you simply agree with me. I want you to understand my feelings of frustration that when my friend doesn't disagree with me. Or what happens if my mother doesn't understand me? What happens if uh, my boss doesn't understand me? And it's no longer about listening to and recognizing the feelings. The husband recognizes the feelings, but there's something else now that's necessary. And the next thing that's necessary is, is he able to truly respect what's, what's going on? So Rabosai, what we saw is that there are three different levels of listening. There's simply being there to listen. And if you can't be there to listen, then you've got to show that you're really interested at another time to be able to listen. In other words, to show that you're truly interested in creating a different time. Number two, we saw that even if you're listening and you really have heard what's said, you might not have really recognized what's being said. You haven't really, really understood what's being said. You haven't really listened to the end. And that we spoke about was talking as opposed to speaking. Talking is that we're communicating information, but we're not recognizing the emotions that are underneath. And then the last piece, and all this is based on Rashi, and the last piece is speaking and, and talking, but being able, the next challenge is the husband being able to show respect for his wife's feelings. Now, there's a famous expression by Descartes, I think, therefore I am. That's the ultimate rationalist uh, approach to life. That the definition of man is, I think, therefore I am. So my wife has, has codified a, a corollary to that in terms of your wife's feelings. And that is, if she feels some way, it's valid. In other words, whether it's logical or not, if your wife feels something then by definition it exists. I, I think, therefore I am. For a woman, it's I feel, therefore I am. That's my hashlacha of that. If she feels that way, then it's by definition valid. And now, our responsibility is to be able to take that emotion, is to be able to take that emotion and turn that into being able to show respect for that emotion. 
And that, that's the, that's the highest madrega. That's the madrega of the kabel. To truly, truly accept. To accept her emotion as valid. And the moment in which you've accepted that is the moment in which you're going to be able to project a true response, uh, to it. There are practical things that are necessary for this. It's not only enough for us to be mechazik ourselves in that this is important, but there are truly things that we need to do to be able to strengthen ourselves to be able to, to, do, to do this. And they're, they're, they're practical things. One of the things that's absolutely necessary, as we said, this is not always natural for a man. In order to be able to be in our best game, to be able to do this, What's necessary is for us to often designate times to be able to be truly focused to our wives' needs. Not to simply be reactive, but to, to say, I'm going to designate time for you where I'm going to truly listen to you and to be able to give you all of those things of really speaking with you, not just simply trading information, and being able to respect uh, your emotions. One more point about communication is that communication, of course, is not only through text, is not only through conversation, it's not only through Zoom, but communication also is through other things. Communication is without words. For some, for many wives, a husband in the middle of day going out and buying her something small, it doesn't have to be something big, but buying her something small is uh, something that's very, very imp- appropriate. When I was a kid, there was a song. Um, the name, the name of the singer just came back to me. Stevie Wonder. There was a song I just called to say I love you, and uh, that phenomenon of where a husband shows that he's there, um, even at times where the, he has no other cheshbon, just simply to say to say I love you, is a, a tremendous form of communi- communication. And once again, buying things, even small things, to show that you've thought about her during the day, is a goes very, very, very far. So this concludes the first part in regards to communication. Um, now let's go, in the next few minutes, we have another 10 minutes or so, let's go to the another point of communication and that is in the place of talking about supportive communication let's talk about what i would call um critical communication and that is when i say critical i don't mean criticism when i talk about critical i mean that there are times that we need to convey information that could make our spouses feel uncomfortable. And that's not always easy. How do we go about communicating those things if that information is going to make our spouse uncomfortable? So I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. A young couple noticed that their child um, tantrums often. And it's the husband's read of the situation that the reason why the child is tantruming is because his wife always gives in to the tantrums. In other words, the child wants something, doesn't get something, when it tantrums enough, 
So then his wife is going to is going to quote unquote give in. Now this is an example of something where I think there is room to have a discussion, to have a critical discussion. Critical being that the issue is critical, and this isn't necessarily a time where the only thing the husband might want to say is one that is going to be simply accepting of her emotions, which is definitely important and definitely necessary, as we said. But how do we give constructive criticism? How do we do give constructive criticism? There is a sheet out there that says that there's no place for constructive criticism in a marriage. There is a beautiful memra of the Baal Shem Tov, that the Baal Shem Tov said, that if you notice any chisarin in someone else, it's probably because the chisarin is in you. And what you're noticing is the chisarin of yourself. And I think that many, many a times, the chisarin is in ourselves, and therefore we have to make a chesh nefesh. That if we think that there is a place for constructive criticism, we have to ask ourselves, um, is, is that criticism really appropriate, or is it something that we should be looking inside? But with that being said, there might be time that there's still room for constructive points. First of all, there's no place to discuss constructive criticism if the husband himself hasn't shown his wife how much he believes in her and compliment her all the time. And therefore, you know, they have for children in Chinuch a four-to-one rule that for every one piece of um, constructive comments to improve that a parent gives a child, you need four positive comments. Certainly the same applies to to constructive criticism as well. That if there isn't a base of where he's constantly showing her mutual respect and appreciation and so on, then chas uh criticism could, uh, could just make her feel worse and um, even um, make the marriage more negative as opposed to doing something that's constructive. The Gemara in Erechin says that if a someone criticizes someone else and says, you know, take take this little bit of wood that's stuck between your eyebrow, take it off and notice something in their eyebrow, the Gemara in Erechin says that the person will respond and you take that beam across your forehead off. In other words, the Gemara in Erechin is describing that what ha- happens is that when constructive criticism is given, the natural reaction is to be defensive. And so therefore, any time that there is a discussion of constructive criticism, everything has to be right in order for it to, in order for it, it to work. Before we discuss how we go about constructive criticism, we also have to say that a lot of times there's no place for that constructive criticism. I, there's a beautiful story with the stipler uh, that I've said in the past, that there was a fellow who came into the stipler. The stipler was known to give segulas, and the stip- he asked the stipler for a segula for Shalom Bayis. So the stipler got, he was excited, the stipler got up, and he said, wait a minute, I'll bring you a segula. The guy got all excited, the stipler is bringing him a segula. So the stipler comes back, and he's holding a broom. 
and he gives it to him, and he says, this is your school for Shalom Bayis. He tells him, take the broom. In other words, what the stipler was saying is, wait a second, the stipler was saying something extremely profound. There's a problem in the house? Why is it that you think that she has a problem, or we have a problem? You do something about it. The house is not clean. It bothers you, so you clean. And I would say that 70-80% of the time, when there is this need for constructive criticism, after we process the fact that you need four to one, after we process that, internalize the idea that every time there is a cons- um, someone suggests anything constructive, often it's a chisarn in them. After we suggest that a person becomes defensive, a lot of times, if we ask ourselves, it's something that we ourselves could be taking care of. It's not something that we have to be um, projecting onto others. However, like in the case that we gave, maybe there is something to discuss. So here are a bunch of conditions that are necessary before having this discussion. Number one, that it can't be coming from a place of any anger whatsoever. It has to be coming from a place of love and discussion. Number two, there must be a sense that this is being done out of love. The Lubavitcher Rebbe Zichron of the Racha said so beautifully, why is it that a coin says that someone is tame with saras? Because the relationship of the coin with Am Yisrael was the varech es Am Yisrael ba'ava. It was, an ex- it was a relationship of love. And whenever you're giving constructive criticism, the love has to be felt. And therefore, she must be feeling the love. Number three, it can't, the issue can't be exaggerated. You know, famously, Rachel and Yaakov have a moment in which things begin to fall apart when she, she says, that Rachel says, give me children, Yaakov can't give her children, and then she exaggerates, she says, Number four, we have to review, review, and review to be able to see it from the woman's perspective. If we haven't seen it from the woman's perspective, if we haven't thought it through, maybe it's easier for you not to give in to the child because you're not with them all the time. But maybe for her there are times that make sense for her to give in to the tantrum. Number five, we have to always be sure to... Wait, was that four or five? Either way, you'll keep, you'll, you'll keep track. Um, either way, is we have to be sure that we don't chas label her. That if the issue is something needs to be improved, we want to talk about the action or the event and not the person. In this case, we don't want the husband, the husband should not say, you're soft, you're too soft. No. The question is, what do we do about this? Because it seems like he's, our child is, is, is tantruming uh, more. Finally, many instances, there's no reason to talk about the general, the, the particular action. It makes a lot more sense to talk about a general discussion. And that is, our child is getting bigger, it's only natural at age two to tantrum, and so on and so forth, and not to even observe a particular thing that you're critical of in her. Let's talk about this in general. What should we do? And the odds are that she herself, if you're truly bringing it up in a caring way, she herself is not happy with the situation, and she wants you to hear her feelings, and you've got to hear a lot of her feelings, and then discuss something that would be appropriate. Often, the thing that w- could be improved, her quote-unquote shortcoming, is actually something that you really, really like about her. 
Um, and if you focus on that and you emphasize that, then that could be something that's very, very meaningful. So, for example, a, a mother who's soft, a little too soft maybe on the kid when he acts out, that mother herself in her nature, might have a very, very soft and caring personality and be someone who forgives very, very easily. So f- keep in mind yourself that if you don't want to change that meter entirely. You just want to nudge it along, and then your frustration won't, uh, won't be as likely to come out. Okay, so these are a bunch of different things that we have to think about when going into um, critical... Uh, communication, and the most important is to constantly being complimenting beforehand and after, and then we don't agree that there's no place for constructive criticism, even though there are people who write that, but realize that so many, so many of the times, if we think about it beforehand, we'll be able to, A, many times recognize that there's no place for the constructive criticism, it's not necessary, that maybe it should be us that should be holding the, taking the broom, and that will be the solution. But even if there is place for that constructive criticism, all of the above things, the cast and the sense of the lack, the absence of cast, not to exaggerate, the uh, critical part of Ava, the to remember not to characterize the person in terms of their chisaron, but to talk about the action, and maybe not even talk about that particular action, but the challenge that exists in general in our family of how to make things uh, even better. So this Bissiyata Deshmaya is about c- critical communication, and then previously what we spoke about is really, really listening and be able to truly respect one's wife's emotions. If she's feeling it, then it's valid. And then we have to be a real, real home base for those for those feelings, not just a logical place for it, but a real, real home base. And simply taking her side is not enough. To truly show that you're able to be with her in her feelings is one of the most critical parts uh, to, to marriage.